Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for August 13th, 2020. I'm very excited about today's interview. Uh, first of all, thank you all for tuning in again. Uh, as always, it's great to have you. Uh, if you enjoy this interview and you haven't checked out my newsletter, please do that. It's fx.substack.com, foreign exchanges. Uh, consider signing up for the free email list and get uh, content like this delivered right to your email inbox. Or even consider signing up as a subscriber and getting even more content. Um, also, I would urge you, uh, as I do uh, every time I do one of these again, to check out uh, Discontents newsletter, which is another Substack project I'm involved in. Discontents.substack.com uh, includes a number of uh, kind of left-leaning podcasters and writers who use Substack, and uh, we're doing a collective thing to to build an audience and expose people to some some work that maybe they missed uh that might be of interest to them so please check that out as well uh, as i said i'm really excited about today's interview uh, ethiopia is a place that we cover a fair bit in the newsletter it's a place that certainly has a lot of news happening especially these days uh but it's not a place that i feel like i understand particularly well, especially the history. Uh, and so we're going to do something about that today. I'm about to be joined uh, via Zoom by Terry Ostebo, uh, who is the chair of the Department of Religion and associate professor at the Center for African Studies and in the Department of Religion at the University of Florida. He's the founding director of the UF Center for Global Islamic Studies. Uh, he researches Islam in contemporary Ethiopia, uh, Islam politics and Islamic reformism in Ethiopia and in the Horn of Africa more generally, uh, ethnicity and religion, uh, and also Salafism in Africa. Uh, he's lived in Ethiopia, spent time there, has done field research there. Uh, he's published uh, widely. Uh, he's got a new book coming out called Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia, uh, The Bale Insurgency, 1963 to 1970, uh, which we will talk about uh, toward the end of the interview if you're interested in that. Uh, he's got a number of other publications. I'll post his bio on the uh, in the show description. You can check that out uh, for yourselves. Uh, today we're going to be focusing primarily on ethnicity in Ethiopian history and the development uh, of kind of modern contemporary Ethiopian politics. Uh, we will be talking about uh, the current prime minister of Ethiopia, Abi Ahmed, uh, and his project to sort of create a more Ethiopian identity and move away from uh, kind of ethnic nationalisms uh, and the ways in which that's succeeding, but also kind of uh, going in the opposite direction. I guess failing would be the right word for that. Um, so we will get into that. We'll dig into some of the conflicts that have been happening uh, within Ethiopia in recent months, years, uh, especially among the Oromo and uh, in the Somali region, uh, but elsewhere as well. Uh, and basically, we're going to try and get a get a better grounding, I think, of, of where those conflicts come from and sort of the, the uh, roots of... Uh, Ethiopian politics today. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Terry on. Uh, and uh, without belaboring this anymore, I will uh, fire up the Zoom and get this going. 
Okay, I am being joined by Terry Ostebo, the University of Florida, and um, well, I gave your your bio in the introduction, so I won't go through all of it again. But uh, Terry, thank you for coming on the program to to talk about Ethiopia and help us understand the background of uh, the situation there today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, not an easy thing to be dealing with at the moment, obviously. No, certainly not, which is part of the reason why I thought it would be helpful for people if we, uh, uh, right. if we could have a conversation like this. Uh, so I want to get into um, especially, you know, sort of the emergence of, of uh, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed, and some of the political changes that he's tried to make or been trying to make. Um, but to do that, I think we have to go back uh, some ways to talk about uh, the Ethiopian civil war, to talk about the emergence of the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, which is where uh, Abi emerged from, uh, and even before that. So I thought maybe let's start in this sort of murky pre-civil war period and, and talk about kind of, I think the, the focus here really is on, on sort of the relationship between the many ethnic communities in Ethiopia and the Ethiopian state. If you could give us sort of the uh, the way things were kind of before the civil war, and then we'll, we'll go up through that period. Yeah, it's always a question of how far back are you going to go? It's a country with a, with a, rich, with a rich and contested history. But um, so the, the, the imperial period ended, of course, in 1974 with the, with the revolution. Uh, where the Marxist government, so-called Dirk, took over. And um, um, that was, the issue at stake during that time was more, very much about, you know, the landless classes, and it was, you know, coined in a Marxist perspective. But I would say that some of the antecedents to what we've been seeing today goes back to then with the formation then of the... Um, Tigrayan revolutionary, or sorry, the Tigrayan um, People's Liberation Front, which argued then already back in the early 70s that unless the question of nationality, meaning the ethnic question is solved, we can never have any kind of, of meaningful political future in Ethiopia. So they uh, kind of detracted from uh, gauging in the, you know, the overall class question of the broader student movement and so on, and uh, uh, started an uh, insurgency up in the northern parts of Ethiopia and Tigray. And um, uh, then they were more or less, from time to time at least, uh, working together with the EPLF, the Eritrean People's Liberation Front. And then fast forward to 1991, um, TPLF together with EPLF and uh, to some extent the Oroma Liberation Front, the OLF took then power and ousted Mengistu um, Hailemariam and then formed the new federal uh, republic that became the Federal Republic of, of Ethiopia. And um, um, the question of ethnicity uh, was very much at the forefront of, of TPLF's policy at that, that time. And that was uh, in 1995 enshrined in the constitution, which reworked all of Ethiopia's um, geographical administrative uh, structures to form what they called a multinationalistic federalism or ethnic federalism, where 
um, the nation, the different regional states would uh, be determined by ethnic, ethno-linguistic, um, according to ethno-linguistic boundaries. So you have the Tigray region, you have the Amhara region, you have the Oromo region, the Somali region, and so on. So altogether, nine regions were then formulated um, um, based on ethnicity. And one pretty striking um, article in that constitution was Article 39 that actually allowed for a region to succeed uh, from the Federation through a process of referendum and so on. But so it went to all that extent that the constitution actually allowed for that, uh, which is not too many countries who has that clause in their, in their makeup. Um, people today argue that this was the root of all evil, that the con ethnic conflicts that we have today is based upon that system. Those in favor for, of, of, the, of the ethnic federalist system obviously argues otherwise um, in saying that um, the ethnic federalist structure has uh, for the first time allowed for, or at least formally would allow for um, the uh, rights of the country's 80 different ethnic groups. So with, with the, the degree of autonomy, with the decentralization of the country, at least on paper, um, for the first time, the real plurality of the country would be recognized. Whether this um, was actually achieved is up for debate. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, the decentralization of the country remained largely on paper. Uh, in other words, the uh, the country over, since 1991 remained uh, highly centralized or governed by by the center. Um, so that is um, that is kind of the, the some of the the, the important uh, framework for for what happened. And to add to that, um, the governing party, or better to say, coalition that um has remained in power was also based on four ethnic oriented parties so you had the the um eprdf the ethiopian people's revolution democratic front consisted of the tplf uh the degrading party there was an amhara party there was an oromo party and then there was this southern front that was uh, a uh, um, a conglomerate of different ethnic groups in the South. So even politics uh, was um, this designed or, or decided according to ethnic belonging. And uh, every party almost since, with a few exceptions, opposition parties, um, different resistance movement have all then been based on ethnicity. So fair to say that the question of ethnicity has been what has um, just dominated the political landscape uh, ever since 1991. I, I, I wonder if we could maybe talk a little more about the EPRDF and sort of how this ethnic federalist system uh, worked in practice. As you say, the, I mean, there's some intent it seems like to sort of devolve 
power to the different ethnicities. You have these constituent parties that are all part of this uh, coalition. Uh, and yet uh, the politics of the, the EPRDF seem to be pretty heavily in practice, uh, pretty centralized. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the relationship between uh, you know, you said, I mean, as you said, there was, a, for example, an Oromo party in the, the EPRDF, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of tension, it seemed like, between the EPRDF, especially uh, in recent years, uh, and the Oromo people kind of writ large. So how did those parties kind of relate to their own ethnic groups? And, and what was in general sort of, what were some of the features or some of the the major kind of characteristics of the relationships between the ethnic groups and and the EPRDF, and including even you know some of the groups that didn't have necessarily kind of direct representation in the in the coalition. Right. So in in in, in 1991, when when TPLF took took power, um, doing so through military force, um, the coalition was established, um, and uh, OPDO, the Oromo Party, Oromo Democratic. Um, Roma People's Democratic uh, Organization was more or less a creation uh, by the TPLF. Some other parties kind of grew out of them, you know, from other parties and then joined the coalition. And um, what is important here is to, to, um, to recognize the, the, the principle of administration or governance that um, that uh, TPLF uh, had developed. Democratic centralism is one principle. Uh, They had um, a very elaborate structure that resembles to some extent, you know, the old, you know, communist parties with Politburo, central committees and so on. And um, uh, these institutions and through that principle of democratic centralism, they were able, to a large extent, to control these other um, other coalition part- partners, it's no doubt that TPLF was the main player in the game. But there were strong institutions and rules and regulations that um, the different coalition part- parties abided to. Now, with um, the war in 1998 to 2000 with Eritrea. Uh, there was a schism within um, the coalition, and there was a purge of, of, of opposition um, of, of, of to um, to Meles Zenawi, at that time prime minister. So I think it's fair to say that after 2000, um, power became increasingly centralized in the hands of uh, Meles Zenawi as as an individual. So the kind of big man um, scenario grew during that time, um, uh, even though that the principle of centralized democracy was there, he played a much stronger role. And of course, he was a, um, a mastermind in, in the political game, so to speak. So he was able then to both rule and divide and, and, and maintain uh, the control over the coalition. Um, and uh, for the more so-called satellite parties, like the Somali party and others, the Haredi party, um, uh, co-option and rewards and threats were the, were the, what was the game of the day 
to maintain that um, they remained loyal to EPRF or, or the coalition. Kim, um, I, I wonder if, um, you know, if we can kind of go now maybe a little bit underneath the level of the EPRDF and talk a little bit about um, some of the salient features, I guess, in the relationships among Ethiopia's array of ethnic groups, kind of, you know, how, uh, where are the, the fault lines, you know, uh, in, in uh, both in terms of like, you know, are there kind of traditional rivalries or their traditional kind of relationships that that exist kind of absent or, or outside the the political area um and and sort of what are the how do these communities kind of get along with one another you know when they're not kind of being pushed into this kind of political entity right. by the uh, by uh, <coughs> you know, the eprdf or the ethiopian government right <clears throat> um Historically, uh, politics in Ethiopia has been uh, dominated by the uh, Amhara group, which is the second largest group, around 30% or so, uh, and uh, the Tigrayan, which is like the northern parts of the country, which was like the, the, the home of the um, um, uh, historical Ethiopian empire. Um, in the ninth, so going back over the centuries, there had always been a kind of a, a internal struggle or competition between Tigrayans and the Amhara. But then later on, um, starting, I would say, 19th century, the, the center of power gradually shifted more to the south around the area of Addis Ababa, where the Amhara then got the upper hand. So for about a century during the reign of Haile Selassie and so on, um, the Amhara were, you know, the one that uh, had the main power and the grains then were more and more marginalized during that period. Um, so when then um, the TP lift takes power, then it's like the grains time again. So the, that, you know, this is like a reversal of the Amhara dominance. Um, and... Um, in their quest for ethnic equality, the rights of other people, they were constantly talking about, you know, the Amhara chauvinists, the Amhara, you know, dominance and so on. Uh, so they were ostracizing the Amhara, so that brought back that, that old uh, kind of competition and tension between the two. Um, the, the, the largest group in the country is, of course, Yoromo, um, counting for... I don't know, possibly 40%, who knows? Uh, the numbers are always contested here. Um, uh, inhabiting the, the larger part of, of the South, East and West. And uh, um, from the 1960 onwards, emerging ethnonationalism grew where uh, different insurgencies, there were um, some... Uh, social associations that grew up. And then in early 1970s, we had the Oroma Liberation Front that came as an armed movement. And from that time, we had this um, very strong and growing uh, Oromo ethno-nationalism, um, which 
portray themselves in the Ethiopian political history as one that had um, marginalized, subjugated uh, the Oromo, and the Oromo um, people's right had never been uh, catered to. Um, and when uh, the ethnic federation, uh, ethnic um, federalist system was put in place, still the coalition partner uh, OPDO said to be representing the Oromo never really had much of clout among the Oromo. It was seen from the very beginning as construction by TPLF. So um, the, the main political representative that people were, you know, the Oromo were, were, were looking to uh, was largely OLF that, uh, for, except for a short period, early 1990s, had been waging armed struggle against the Ethiopian state and hence didn't have much of a political presence within the country. So these are some of the broader um, uh, ethnic divisions that we have seen. Um, and today, uh, the Oromo Amhara, Amhara Tigray, and so on is still being played out as, um, as some of the major dim dimension of, of conflict and contestation. I know one of the, I mean, one of your kind of, you know, the main areas of your research is on the, the, the interplay or the interaction between these, uh, the ethnic question in Ethiopia and the role that religion plays in kind of, uh, uh, you know, Ethiopian society. I wonder, you know, if you could maybe go into some uh, detail about that. What, what role does religion play as sort of uh, in the relationship between these communities? Right. Um, just, just a brief overview. So dominant Christian uh, tradition in Ethiopia is the Ethiopian Orthodox, Orthodox Church. It, Orthodox Christianity goes back to the, the, the fourth century. Islam has a long history. So today we have about 30 something percent Muslims and then 40% uh, Christian Orthodox. Um, and then we have had um, from the late 19th century and then uh, mainly 20th century uh, growth of Protestantism uh, from various denominations. And um, the last census from uh, 19, uh, sorry, from 2007 uh, listed Protestant to be 18%. Um, it's very likely that they now are, are over 20% and they're largely um, getting members then from, from the Orthodox community. So the Orthodox community is shrinking uh, while the other Protestant, uh, Protestants are growing. So we have this kind of triangle here um, between Protestantism, Orthodox Christianity, and Islam. And um, largely the, the Protestant and the Orthodox Christian do not look at the other as really true believers. So it's a kind of a triangle of three different religions that, that we see. I, always, I have always argued that uh, scholars of Ethiopia has really not taken um, religion enough into consideration. Uh, I believe it's far more important than, than we think. Um, uh, the issue is that it has always, or not always, but often been a more subtle aspect of, of things. Um, but if you take, for example, the concept of Amhara, 
which of course has a very plastic meaning. It changes from, you know, over time and so on. Um, it's fair to say that being Orthodox Christian is an inherent part of being Amhara. For example, if you go to um, Muslims living in that region who speak Amharic and who have no other language, they would never call themselves Amhara. Uh, because that is something that relates to being Christian. Uh, so when you then have ethnic conflicts, as we've seen there recently, between Oromo and Amhara, Oromo that are Muslims, and Amhara that inevitably would be Christians, the religious aspect is just there. It's just unavoidable. And sometimes it's made explicit, and sometimes it's not. What we've seen over the last year is that it has become more explicit, which um, is a very new development. Um, and um, many are scratching their heads of what is going on now. Do we see uh, um, a growth of, of religious extremism and so on? I would be careful to make that conclusion, um, but it's, it's, it's very clear that um, it is connected to uh, already existing uh, ethnic divisions. So the group that we keep talking about here, who, who, that is, you know, sort of uh, particularly important if we're going to move into the, the emergence of uh, Abi Ahmed uh, and his project is the Oromo. Um, and especially, you know, he, he kind of became prime minister out of a, a very serious conflict between, uh, the Oromo and the Ethiopian state over, um, I think, I mean, you know, over a long list of grievances, but, uh, immediately there was, you know, there was sort of talk about, uh, appropriating Oromo, traditional Oromo land, uh, there were conflicts kind of going on in the sort of border area between the Oromo and Somali regions of Ethiopia that I, I'm not sure were related, but but seemed to be all part of a, a kind of period of instability. And that's, you know, sort of the, the context in which Abi, who is Oromo himself, uh, you know, became prime minister and has since, you know, done a lot of things to try and change uh, well, I mean, gotten rid of really the EPRDF in a sense. Uh, so I, I wonder if you could sort of uh, dig in more into the sort of um, grievance of the the Oromo people and the, the how it flared up, uh, how it's flared up, you know, most recently and, and led to this uh, these kind of political changes. Right. <clears throat> like I said, uh, Oromo nationalism, ethno-nationalism, um, which has been some extent spearheaded by by um, um, the OLF and other opposition movement, but it has also been part of the Ethiopian state's project to kind of create ethnic awareness uh, and to talk about the rights of different groups and so on. And so even if it's largely empty rhetoric, it has had an impact on the young generation of being very more very much conscious of, of being Oromo, um, of embracing the kind of the, the, the Oromo identity. Uh, so in a way you could say that um, the EPRDF um, wanted to create like a state endorsed 
ethno-nationalism that would be loyal to to the party and state unintentionally in a way they they fuel that growing um, sentiment of Roma nationalism being opposed to the state. Now, of course, adding to this is um, youth unemployment, lack of land, um, disparity in general, uh, lack of hope for young generation, and uh, uh, all this comes together then. And in 2014, it more or less exploded with a, a massive um, uh, protest across the region. What sparked this was the new Addis Ababa surrounding master plan, which entailed that the boundaries of, of the, the capital city would be expanding into Roma, Roma, uh, into the Roma region. Um, so these protests continued and unabated uh, for years until 2018. And it also spread to other areas, particularly in the Amhara region where similar a growing Amhara ethnationalism has been emerging. And um, uh, that time, Prime Minister Desalin Halimariam, um, which is from a Southern, uh, from the South, from the Waita people, where uh, he was unable to really deal with this. Um, the responses were largely pretty heavy-handed by the security forces. Um, the number of casualties, we don't know. There's so many numbers floating around. But he um, then uh, stepped down uh, in early or in February of 2018. And a few months later, then Abi came to power. And Abi. Ahmed, together with his his um, his partner um, Lemma Megarsa, had by that time come out with statements, particularly Lemma Megarsa, of of trying to uh, accommodate or accept the demands and grievances of um, the protesters, the Roma protesters. They would they were making statements that made them very popular among the Romu youth. So, um, uh, and beyond. So when Abi then took power in, in April uh, as a new prime, prime minister in 2018, he immediately was able to ride this huge wave of popularity uh, within the Romu constituency, but also beyond. And um, that was, of course, strengthened by his immediate um, effort to make reforms, which included um, acknowledging the existence of torture in prisons, uh, releasing a um, uh, number of political prisoners, starting a revision of some of the, uh, the legal systems, such as the anti-terror law and others. And then, of course, um, the initiation of the, the peace dialogue with, with Eritrea. So uh, we talk about this kind of uh, abimania in the first month after he, he took power. Uh, and there was um, this, this fantastic hope that one would now be moving into a very unprecedented democratic direction, which um, today, um, I think it's fair to say that there is some miles to go before uh, we have got there. Um, 
I don't know, I could continue talking about the changes, but I don't know if you want to have a question to, to add. Well, I mean, so it seems, it seems like what, what's been going on here. I mean, you have, you know, the, the EPRDF, uh, which is sort of internally inconsistent in a way because there's this kind of effort to explicitly acknowledge the ethnic composition of the country and, and develop this federal system that in practice really, I mean, you know, it winds up being kind of a Tigrayan um, supremacist project in a sense. I mean, they're the the main political power and everybody else kind of, uh, you know, their, their ethnic ambitions or their ethnic kind of, uh, there's not a, a full realization of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Abi comes to power as the result of that, as a result of, you know, it's kind of pent up resentment among the largest Ethiopian ethnic community, the Oromo. Uh, and, and his his sort of project seems to be um, on the one hand, you know, intentionally kind of um, trying to create a, a more Ethiopian sensibility and less, you know, with less focus on these sort of ethnic communities, but at the same time, uh, you know, kind of breaking the, the power of the, the EPRDF and the Tigrayan uh, kind of control over it. It seems to have energized in some sense a lot of uh, kind of ethnic nationalist type feelings among uh, a lot of the other ethnic groups. And at the same time also seems to have generated uh, a, a, an ethnic backlash uh, from the Tigrayans. I, I don't know if you can maybe, you know, you know, kind of correct me if I'm on the wrong track here, or sort of kind of talk about the, the contradiction, I guess, in, 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 terms of you know what he's trying to do and what's actually been the effect of some of the things that he's done well um first of all many of us are really questioning what does he want what is he what's his his strategy what is his goal because they're not often that clear and in many cases they are quite contradictory um and i think that uh, what most observers of Ethiopia since I became to power has been asking for is a kind of a long-term road plan. Where are we going? Uh, what are the some of the the, the key elements here uh, for for you know moving from A to B to C? Um, but I think it's important to again step step back a little bit and and um, and remember that uh, when Melissa Nawi died in. Um, in, in 2012, um, there were fear that the whole party structure coalition would break break together, and and it didn't. But it's clear that starting from that time, the in, inherent co- uh, cohesion of, of internal cohesion of the party was weakened, and it from that time, it gave opportunities for other players to 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 make themselves themselves heard. Uh, and that continued, of course, um, as uh, the protest continued and with the transition then from uh, Dessalin Heilemaniam uh, to, uh, to Abi. Um, and it's true that um, Abi has been, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to, to, to really 
get a like I said, get a sense of, of what he's what he wants. But he started the process pretty immediately of wanting to abolish the, uh, the coalition and create one unitary power, which he did then in December 2019, the Prosperity Party. Uh, that was something that um, Melizanawi had, I mean, he played with that idea, but it was never realized. Um, but it was done in such a manner, uh, at least from the perspective of TPLF, that um, they chose not to become part of that party. And more or less now TPLF Tigrayan has withdrawn to their region um, and they're kind of out of national politics. Um, the grievances that started to to become manifest uh, within uh, among the Oromo was uh, Abbe's increasing emphasis on a unitary Ethiopia. So uh, he has he launched this idea that is reflected in in his book Medemmer, which is an Amharic word that means like synergy or to add on. Um, where he emphasized a kind of civil nationalist uh, um, structure as opposed to ethno-nationalism. He is not always 100% clear on is that what he wants and so on, but uh, most of, of people who uh, favor uh, the continuation of an ethnic federal system certainly uh, view him in this way. And that is what has led, I would argue, for him to lose much of the support he had initially among the Oromo people. Um, we did a study, a colleague of mine, uh, earlier this year, um, traveling across Armenia, and it was quite clear that um, as opposed to his initial months of, of governance, he, he's, he has widely lost much of his support in um, in the Oromia region and of course in, in other areas. So, um, and that is largely because people view him as um, similar to the old uh, regime of a centralized Ethiopia, uh, where, you know, they fear that the Amhara is going to come back and, and rule again and so on. So there's a lot of, you know, narratives and rumors being, being played out. Um, I think it's too early to tell whether he would abolish the ethnic federalist system. I think he would have significant resistance if he did it. Um, but again, um, it's hard sometimes to, to really understand what he's doing, why he's doing what he is. Um, and, and, and I think that is, that is where we are at the moment. Um, it's, it's, it's more or less up in the air, so to speak. There seems to be, I mean, he seems to be getting it from uh, a lot of directions uh, right now. There were the, uh, you know, there's the murder of, uh, Hachalo Hundessa, the popular Oromo singer and kind of national figure, uh, and the protests that followed that, which were quite heated for, for several days. Um, you know, that's that's been sort of, you know, in the Oromo community, sort of the, you know, re most recent flare-up. But at the same time, uh, elsewhere, you know, I mean, he's postponed 
the election that was supposed to happen uh, because of ostensibly because of the the COVID nineteen, uh, but the Tigrayans have you know been complaining that he's really doing this to sort of uh, impose a, a kind of dominant central. Uh, authority and take power away from the regions. I wonder, you know, what what is his uh, sort of situation now? As you said, I mean, he came to power and sort of, uh, you know, on a wave of of popularity and and talk about reform. Has it? I, and you've already said it's sort of uh, he's lost a lot of that uh, among the Oromo. Has he lost it? Uh, generally speaking, I mean, in a national sense, is is he kind of floundering now, or uh, where do things stand? Well, I think he's lost. Uh, I mean, he, he's he lost the Tigrayans for sure. He, uh, as you said, they are you know moving ahead with their own regional um, elections. Um, he he would have some support among those who uh, would reverse the ethnic federalist system. Um, uh, but uh, in the south, among the Romo and other southern groups, I, he has, um, I would say, very little uh, support. We have in recent days been witnessing uh, protests in the Walaita area. Uh, uh, the Walaitas are arguing or seeking to become an, a, a separate region such as the Sadamo became last year. Um, and uh, the federal government's responses have been pretty heavy-handed with, um, with firing into um, protesters and shutting down partly internet and so on, the kind of old, old way of doing things. Um, in the last, uh, so in the aftermath of, um, of uh, uh, Jalo's killing, uh, prominent opposition politicians among the Roma primarily, like Jawar Mohammed and, and Bekele Garba were arrested. Um, in subsequent weeks, I think the official number now is around 9,000 um, people arrested in connection to the killing and more so uh, the subsequent in uh, unrest. And many of these are um, uh, administrators from 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 uh, from districts and, and cities and so on, um, and as well as uh, arrest of some journalists and of other um, opposition politicians. Just a few days ago, he um, ousted. Um, uh, Lemma Megarsa from his position as Minister of Defense. So Lem had had been his 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 brother in arms, so to speak, uh, since he since Abi came to power. And we just learned today that uh, Lemma is now put under house arrest. Um, so um, why is he doing this? Um, one could say that this is not very productive in the way that he is isolating himself more and more from his traditional uh, partners. Um, and, uh, and it seems that this is the way he's, he's uh, moving. And many of us has questioned where will the army go eventually? Will they stick with him and so on? And so far they have clearly. Um, but uh, I think it's fair to say that um, 
over the years since he came to power, his power base or 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 um, or, or support group has been shrinking uh, day by day, uh, and of course that leaves him in a very vulnerable position. Um, but I think what we see is, which has been not too uncommon in Ethiopia, is is that he is the guy in charge as as a person. Um, he is relying very much on himself. Um, and um, people who I spoke to who have met him personally and spoke to him describe him as a very un- overconfident person that kind of doesn't need anyone else. Um, he he would go in and speak to people. Um, Diplomats and others alone with any nobody in the room and so on. So um, he's quite a character, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> One of the things that that he's done that um, you know I think has gotten less attention than the changes he's made. You know, for example, kind of uh, you know transitioning the EPRDF into a, the Prosperity Party and some of the ethnic kind of. Uh, things that he's done. He, he's, he's undertaken some economic changes as well, um, sort of moving away from uh, the more leftist bent of, of the DERG and the EPRDF and, and kind of introducing some uh, more market-oriented, I guess, uh, reforms. Has that played a role? I mean, I, I've seen some writing suggesting, you know, Long term, this could cause some instability and sort of provoke some resistance. Uh, is that already coming? Is that already playing a factor uh, here, or, or you know, is, has the impact of those changes sort of maybe not yet come to fruition? Well, everything now is derailed by by COVID nineteen. Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, whatever he he whatever he tried to do would now. You know, it's a completely different ballgame. But it's true, like you say, that he, he uh, came out with uh, trying to um, have a more alternative policy than his predecessor of trying to, to minimize the role of the state. And, and he's been opening up to uh, privatize some major um, state-owned businesses that has been there in the state for, you know, decades, if, if not more. Um, like I said, uh, COVID just just threw everything up in the air, um, and and I, I I think it's hard. It it was hard to speculate even before the Corona came what where that would go, um, what that would mean. Um, what has been critical is the enormous or growing foreign debt that the country has had, um, the way they have been you know, over the last decade or so been investing immensely in building up infrastructure and so on, has put them in, in a very dire situation in terms of, of, of debt they have. And, um, and there's just has for the last year or so just been a, in, a, in, a, in a devastating lack of foreign currency that has hampered um, foreign um, trade, export, imports, which has been, been um, been significant uh, have been have been a significant uh, problem. Now, privatization of major businesses, yes, it could have changed the situation. But again, um, we are now just in a completely different world, so it's it's hard to say. 
I guess, I mean, sort of <laughs> the obvious question that um, I should ask here is how in general has the pandemic kind of hit Ethiopia and um, impacted this whole project. I mean, we've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, it's been the justification to postpone the election. It was, uh, you know, it's impacted his, uh, Abi's economic agenda. Um, how, you know, has it, has it had other kind of political effects? What, what's the sort of been the nature of enforcement? I mean, we've seen a lot, some, you know, in, even just in the uh, sort of region, kind of East Africa, there've been, reports from Kenya, for example, of, of kind of very heavy handed enforcement of lockdowns and, and, you know, that, that contributing to a sense of, uh, you know, the state overreach is, is what, what's, what role is it having in Ethiopia? Yeah, we have, we have seen this, the same thing now, uh, Ethiopia, at least, uh, according to official number is not as bad as neighboring countries. I think they, number of cases at the moment is like 24,000 or something. Obviously, it's fair to say that the number is much higher. Um, but they have had a, a similar lockdown uh, early in, in April um, uh, and um, building up quarantine centers and, and isolation centers for people infected and so on. The, the problem with those has been that um, um, there has been uh, a lack of adequate service when people are quarantined uh, in terms of food and, and sanitation and so on. So people are very reluctant to um, be quarantined. Uh, and because of that, that people actually have been escaping from, from these centers has been that the police or security sector has taken over and kind of guard these quarantine centers. And the same is when people are trying to track potential uh, infected people, the police is always there. So you have a, have a significant securitization of the whole, um, of, of the government's interventions when it comes to, um, when it comes to, to uh, fighting uh, the coronavirus. Now, in addition to that, that the most um, significant long-term uh, implications are going to be of an economic nature. Um, tourism is just is ended. Uh, service industry, a lot of, of, of restaurant, bars, hotels are going bankrupt. Um, uh, construction sites, which has been very a very important business in particularly Nadasaba, seems to be stopped completely, which means that the un unemployment has skyrocketed. Um, restrictions on transportation that you cannot uh, transport as many people in the same bus or something like that. The increased cost of transportation has meant that um, the movement of goods has more or less stopped up. So, uh, for example, um, crops from the rural areas into urban areas have been reduced. And when they reach the markets, the prices are just like insane because of the high transportation costs that farmers need to pay. So, um, um, and then you add to this the issue of the locust uh, catastrophe um, prediction about drought coming. Um, I, I think it's 
fair to say that the years ahead would be will be dire for the country and the region as such when you added all these things up. And obviously, that is likely to have significant political consequences. Um, there is already already been a high you know high level of unemployment, but the way this is now increasing and the way that people are losing their homes and houses and are forced on the street, of course, is going to be exacerbating an already fragile situation. I was, I was, I'm glad you mentioned the, the locust outbreak because it only just occurred to me. It's sort of amazing to think about this kind of massive, you know, epic locust outbreak like you know nothing that we've seen before in in a very long time and it's almost an afterthought uh, compared to the pandemic and and you know all these other things it's it's kind of it's just that kind of year i guess i don't know um one thing i wanted to ask you about and you've mentioned the the protests recently in the walaita region uh and the movement in in uh, among the sidama people for uh, to sort of create their own ethnic region. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit generally about uh, the region that they both come from, which is the Southern Nations, Nationalities and Peoples region, which is the sort of catch-all area, right. whereas you have these other regions that are very oriented toward one ethnic group, the Somali region, the Oromo region, the, the Amhara, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is kind of a... a, a kind of catch all for a number of smaller ethnic groups. How did it come to be, uh, you know, organized that way? And, and, you know, as these larger SSNP communities kind of agitate for their own ethnic regions, is that something that we're going to see more of, do you think, uh, moving forward? Yeah. So the, the Southern region for short. Um, yes, it come. It it came to be. Uh, I, th- I th- <laughs> fair to say that. Okay, what do we do with the rest now? We have Amhara region, <laughs> we have Gray region, we have Somali region. So you know, you had right. you had these large geographical areas where, of course, they were not never hundred percent homogeneous, but there you know there was a domination of certain groups in that area. In the South, you have, I mean, you have to remember that Ethiopia consists of like around 80 different ethnic groups. And, you know, in, in, in the South, um, they are uh, inhabiting very small areas. Many of these groups are very small. Uh, I think some even count less than, than, a, than 500 or something. Um, so that was the thing, you know, you cannot have, you know, 80 different regional states. So you then have to kind of put them together and, and, and say, you're going you're gonna to be one state. Um, and historically, and even more so in the last few decades, there have always been um, clashes and conflicts between the different um, ethnic groups in the South. Uh, also between uh, southerners and the Romo and, uh, and other neighboring areas, you know, over grazing land, over other issues and so on. Uh, and that has just continued. Um, and, and then you had, you know, with the 
focus on ethnic group, ethnic quality, ethnic rights, and so on. Uh, similar nationalist movements um, uh, found fertile ground in the South as well, particularly among the Sidama, which is one of the largest ethnic groups in, in that area. Um, and then later on, it has spread then to Walaita in particular, uh, and I think it's likely to spread to, to some other groups. Uh, but I think it's important to, to keep in mind that there are like four or five major uh, groups in the South that has the number and, and I would say the, the resources and capacity to, to play any, any political role in the sense of, of seeking to become a regional state. Uh, in, this, in the deep southwest, groups are so small and, 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 and on the margin, so to speak, that uh, it would be difficult then uh, for them to, to, play, um, to play that card in a similar way. But um, Walaita is what we see now. The Walaita uh, movement has been um, growing for the last years. Kambata uh, Hadia. We'll see if if similar things come comes to play there, um, but um, um, it it's 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 a thing. I mean, it's now everybody wants to kind of have their own um, their own uh, region and and be self governed. So um, it's not going to go away with the nearest future for sure. I want to kind of wrap us up here i guess with your thoughts about the stability of ethiopia um you know if you had to to kind of look at the future here um you know what we've we've talked about in this interview is a country that's gone from uh empire to the derg a, a military government basically to the EPRDF, which was also kind of highly centralizing, um, you know, verging into authoritarianism. And now, uh, you know, Abi even seems to be kind of after, you know, really having a head of steam to change things when he got in, it seems to be moving back uh, in that direction. Is this a country that can maintain itself uh, without some kind of very heavy-handed state control, um, you know, what's what do you see as the sort of future of of uh, Ethiopia and of the 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 ethnic components? I mean, are, are there going to be, um, you know, I guess is it is it can it hang together and can it hang together uh, without a very firm hand in a more kind of uh, loose decentralized way. Well, I, I think I, I think there's two two points to be two points to be made. Uh, first of all, the idea of Ethiopia disintegrating is is kind of unthinkable. I mean that it's like the the superpower of the horn, and and if that country would would fall apart, it had it would have so tremendous. Uh, regional ramification I want to think about even. So I think there is, in spite of, in spite of all internal divisions and tensions and conflicts, 
conflicts. I think there is, uh, I, at least I hope, there is a will uh, among um, the stakeholders internally in Ethiopia to want to continue to remain one country. Um, and the second thing is that, no, I, I do not think that uh, a strong hand uh, is the solution. I think, you know, we talk about 21st century to um, talk about a political development that will not move in a democratic direction is, is just not um, tenable, I think. So um, uh, if Abbe continues uh, or even becomes more heavy-handed, I think that is just going to, to, um, to meet more and more resistance. And that's not, that's not a good recipe for, for a constructive future. Obviously, and the more general thing would be to have a national conversation between the stakeholders um, uh, on, on deep issues as, you know, what is Ethiopia? What is to be Ethiopian? How do we cater for the rights and needs of the different ethnic religious groups and so on? Um, like, a, like a national reconciliation process in whatever term. The dilemma with that is that who would be at the table? Um, the opposition is extremely fragmented. Now many of them are in prison and so on. And Abi, after he imprisoned uh, key leaders, he organized uh, a conversation with politicians, which kind of you know rang hollow because you know the main people weren't there. Um, so that is that's that's a crucial dilemma. I you know on the one hand uh, there's a need for for genuine talks um, between different groups, but there is no clear representation that comes out that could be at the table and, and talk together, which is a product of um, many things. One important factor is the dominance of EPRF for so many years that has effectively divided and ruled um, uh, the opposition and has uh, um, contributed to its um, to its fragmentation. Um, so I'm optimistic, but I'm very, very cautiously optimistic that <laughs> we will move in 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 a in a smoother direction anytime soon. Cautious optimism always seems to be a a, a good choice. <laughs> it's diplomatic. In general, in yeah. general, I think. Uh, on that <laughs> note, though, I, I think. Um, you know we can we can leave it there and and uh you know as this project moves forward uh, i would love to have you back to 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 talk more about where things are going uh be great. terry ostevo thank you so much uh for being on the show and uh, uh you have a book coming out and uh, i almost blanked on that but luckily i didn't uh why don't you uh you know take a take a couple of minutes and and tell people about that and uh uh you know kind of uh, where they can find it and what it's about yeah the book is called um islam ethnicity and conflict in ethiopia so it should be very much uh needed today uh it's not on on a particularly a con temporary issue. It deals with uh, uh, an armed insurgency in the area of Bala in the 1960s. But what I tried to do is, is try to, 
to theorize a little bit and try to come uh, with some suggestions of how do we understand the relationship between ethnicity and religion, in this case, Christianity and Islam or Omamhara in times of conflict. Um, So it gives some theoretical suggestion around that and it then is a historical um, uh, discussion of that, um, that process. Uh, I do, however, believe it has some importance for the today's context, given the fact that ethnicity and religion are now kind of moving ahead as the main um, dimensions that are uh, dividing people and, and the route for, for, for boundary making. So the book is um, um, to be published by Cambridge University Press. Um, I heard from them that it would be out available in uh, October this year. Excellent. Uh, well, I will. Uh, I'll put the link since it's not out. If I can find a place where it's available for yeah. pre-order, I will. Uh, I'll put yeah. a link to that in the show description. If you go to uh, Cambridge homepage, I, I think there should be a link to it there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can definitely do that. So we will. Uh, that'll be in the show description. You guys should definitely check that out. Um, again, Terry Ostevo, thank you so much uh, for coming on and and helping to walk us through a, a very complicated and, and I think very relevant uh, situation that's going on in Ethiopia. My pleasure. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Terry Ostabo of the University of Florida for coming on the program. Uh, his book, one more time, is Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia. Cambridge University Press says it'll be out in September. Terry said October, so look for it sometime this fall if you're interested in uh, Ethiopian history and especially in pieces of Ethiopian history that uh, have something to say about the current situation there. Uh, To all of you, as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.